Let's talk about microdosing. You know that feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like after a workout or a nice long shower, where you've relaxed, you're focused, and a little energized? It feels just right, like you're in the zone. Well, microdose can help you not only get into that zone easier, but stay there longer. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. I absolutely love how helpful these gummies are. For me, half a microdose gummy during the day helps me really stay centered and really fresh as I get everything done on my list. And they really help me relax in the evenings as well and just be present and in the moment instead of worrying about things from the day or what I have to do tomorrow. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code MinaAF for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. I'm Mina Starziak-Hawk, and this is Mina AF, where I answer all of your questions and you can ask me anything. Can we talk about money? Can you still breastfeed with implants? You're both boss moms, and I'd love to know the story of how you met. Literally anything any of you want to hear. Listen as we build a community and get to know each other better. Today, we're going to be talking all about surgery. Joining me and Steve on today's episode is my surgeon, Dr. Peter Colts. I think you're triple board certified, right? Oh, uh, yes. I am board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. That's a very complicated question that you made sound so simple. So, Well, no, uh, I was Googling it last night trying to figure out like the difference between like double board, triple board, and it is very complicated, but important. Yeah. So it's, it's probably the most important thing. And you started with, with that, which is great. Um, so, <laughs> so the reason it's complicated is because almost every physician, which recognize I didn't say plastic surgeon, but every physician is board certified, meaning you finish some, mm-hmm. something in medicine and you had to take a test in something that you hopefully pass. And then you are granted board certification <laughs> in something. The difference. So when someone says they're bo- triple board certified, it actually means absolutely nothing. Uh, it's kind of like a marketing thing, but the only thing that matters is you're board certified by the American board of plastic surgery. Those other boards that people frequently tout that they're board certified by actually don't matter because it's all the end game to get to what matters, which is the American Board of Plastic Surgery, if we're talking about the things we're talking about. Okay. Because yeah, that's what I was finding. It seemed very like vague. So I did three fellowships, which means you like specialties and other things other than or as part of plastic surgery, but you'll frequently hear that people say they're triple board certified and then they're board certified in like family medicine, general surgery, and maybe they somehow got to plastic surgery, which usually doesn't happen, but it's usually like family medicine, radiology, general surgery. So they're triple board certified. Okay. That's a lot of what I was finding. But none of those things are actually plastic surgery. So it doesn't really matter what if you're triple board certified. So I guess the like follow-up question to that then is I had a lot of questions around like looking for the right plastic surgeon. Like, because you hear those horror stories like, oh, well, I went to Mexico and got a $2,000 boob job and I'm not happy with a shocker. Like what's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is unfortunately the hardest part I think in the whole thing is finding your way to the right person. And what is the right person is, is probably a reasonable place to start. And you, you nailed probably the the most important, although most evasive thing, which is board certification, but not just board certification, board certification by the American board of plastic surgery, because there's a comp, there's a competing quote unquote board, which is not an actual board, which is the American 
board of cosmetic surgery, which is not an actual recognized board. Anyone can get a, be a part of it, including general surgeons, family medicine, OBGYN, and none of their training recognizes that they have to be able to complete the full spectrum of plastic surgery, which is important, even if you're doing just cosmetic surgery, because every cosmetic surgery case has components of reconstruction. And we spend at six to seven years just doing plastic and reconstructive surgery as American board of plastic surgery, board certified surgeons, as opposed to you spent five years taking out gallbladders and then took a six month course in breast augmentation. So very different kind of scenario. And I had no idea. So when I was thinking about it, I actually went and had a consultation locally after Jack before I even had Charlie and was was kind of planning because we didn't think we were going to be able to have Charlie. And I think getting a second opinion always is awesome. I don't know how you feel about that as a doctor. No, I a hundred percent agree. And I, I think if you're not confident when you meet with your surgeon or you don't click, I mean, it's your intuition is good. So if you don't, you feel like you don't click or they're not understanding you, or you feel like they may not be capable. Most people hear about their plastic surgeon from their friends or family. And they, and because people are embarrassed to say they got botched frequently, they will just go to whoever their friends or family went to, whether or not they got a great result. So I, I always encourage all of my patients, whether it's cosmetic or reconstructive, if, if anything I'm not saying is not making sense, or you don't like what I'm saying, or you're not jiving with me, then you should always talk to other people. And most people that I've met will have seen two or three other surgeons before they see me. And I don't, I mean, I knock on wood or I'm not, I'm not being arrogant. Most people will not go see people after me, but because I'm pretty open and honest and I say what I just said to you. You are. And I think that's what I really liked about it because when I came to you after I had the first consultation, I was like, these are the things that I went down during the first consultation. The doctor said what I wanted to do would have to be two different surgeries. And A, I don't have time for that. Like, actually, that's all there is. I don't have time for that. And why is that a thing? So when yeah. I came to, when I came to you and explained, well, I think a lot of people have a question about what all I actually did. So mm -hmm. I had a breast augmentation. I had a tummy tuck. I had uh, kind of like lipo in a lot of little small spots. And then you put some of my fat in, in my butt dent. So those are all the things I did. And my first consultation said that we would have to separate the tummy tuck and the breast augmentation. And when I came to you and asked, you know, like, is that a thing? Why is that going on? Go ahead. The truth is, if somebody tells you that and you're okay with that and you like that surgeon, then that's okay. Because what they're telling you is that's what they're comfortable with. And the most important thing is that whoever's doing your surgery, you want them to be comfortable doing what they're comfortable with. You don't want to tell them, hey, I want it done in one surgery, but they're you know, 70 years old and they can't stand up for more than two hours and it's going to be a six hour surgery, then, yeah, you know, God bless them for being honest. Right. So, so, so the, the truth is you can do a lot of things safely. I generally tell people, I try to do whatever I, whatever we're doing within six hours, that's been shown to be safe to do whatever you can get done within six hours. That's plenty of surgery. And that's just because you don't want to be under anesthesia necessarily much longer than six hours. It, it's longer to recover um, and recover from anesthesia from a mental standpoint. There's been some long-term mental issues with recovery if you are under anesthesia that long or multiple repeated surgeries under anesthesia longer. So you can be under longer than six hours, but it's very safe, repeatedly been shown to be safe under six hours. So that's what I try to keep surgery to. And it, it takes some surgeons four or five hours to do breast reduction surgery. So what one surgeon, and that takes me an hour and a half. So what, what one surgeon takes four to five hours to do, someone does an hour and a half. So it's, it's going to be variable from surgeon to surgeon, what you can get done safely in the amount of time. And is that just based on like experience, age, technology you're using? It's like saying, why does, why does uh, Steph Curry shoot? whatever, 40% behind three-point line and others shoot under 5%. So it, I think it's just what you're- So you're just, you're the Steph Curry of plastic surgery. Well, well, no, no, no. I mean, I think it's just a matter of, you know, some people can do some things quicker, more efficiently, are more thoughtful. Some people like to talk a lot during surgery. You know, it's just what your style is. Small anecdote. I love what your surgical team does during surgery. I was not awake while it happened, but I got a little taste of it when I went back for some scar revision and other stuff. and. 
Uh, I don't know if you all know, but uh, Dr. Colts has quite a set of pipes on him and his right-hand gal also does. And they, per my request, and you know, I'm the patient, so you got to do what I'm asking, did a beautiful rendition of a song from Lady Gaga. Star is Born. What's the song that you guys did? Uh, well, it was Lady Gaga, uh, Shallows. Shallows. Well, that's one of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it was it was excellent. So not only very talented surgeon, like your team really is awesome. So when I came to you, I think I said I wanted a breast lift because I wasn't really upset about size. I just wanted them kind of back up where they used to be. And we ended up putting implants in, but for a very good reason, which you explained to me mm-hmm. quite well. So the the hard part with with breast aesthetics is making sure that the look that you're going for is we deliver a, you know, a procedure that's going to give you that long term because frequently as we age, unfortunately, skin never gets tighter. And so the common answer is, oh, you need a breast lift and you can give somebody a good looking result for a short period of time with a breast lift at the expense of having some scars on your breast that you may not need necessarily if you can get on the same page with what you're after. So, you know, in your case, not to divulge too many details, but, you know, the the key is that if as long as we're understanding each other that when you say get them back up there, what you're really looking for is a little better cleavage and a little more fullness at the top of your breast. And if you want that long term, an implant is usually the answer or multiple sessions of transferring your own fat to your breast, which most people don't want to have multiple surgeries like we talked about. So the implant in your case, and in many women's cases is not to make your breast bigger, but instead just to shape your breast in a way that it looks like you're wearing a push-up bra with no push-up bra. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of what most people are after. I have two follow-up questions for that because the fat transfer, I think, is interesting to a lot of people because, you know, if they don't want this foreign body or, you know, whatever the reason they want to use their own fat, the the reason for it being multiple surgeries potentially, my understanding of that is because when you transfer fat, like you don't necessarily know how much of it is going to take, I guess. Is that the, I don't know. Yeah. So we take fat from one area of your body. We take it out of your body. So you have what was recently living And then we take it out and put it back in and we expect wherever we're placing that fat to then share its blood supply with the fat we now put there. So the the short answer to your question is you can only place so much at one time and expect it to live. And when fat doesn't live, so whatever doesn't live, if you put too much and too much dies, then that fat turns into a little hard lumps and hard lumps in breasts or anywhere on your body for that matter, but especially the breast is a bad look and a bad feel and concerns people for cancer. So what we know with fat transfer surgery, whether it's butt or breast or wherever, 60% of it roughly is going to live and become permanent in that location. And 40% of it is going to die and your body is going to reabsorb it without leaving lumps behind or any kind of strange things. If you try to put too much in, a whole bunch will die and will overwhelm your, the area you're putting it and you'll have really lumpy, oily, calcified masses in your breast or butt or wherever you're putting it. So medically, is there a reason to do one versus the other? Yeah. So, so that conversation usually goes, if, if you're looking to go up a breast size, or you're looking to make a significant change in the aesthetics of your breast, not just kind of fill up your skin a little bit better, then that kind of guides the decision. So if you're really looking for real fullness and real changes and not just kind of like fill up loose skin, then you need an implant. If you really just have a little, a little bit of a fullness you're looking for, but not really visible changes. But you know, some women just number one are unaccepting of the fact that an implant what whatsoever, and and that's fine. That's a personal choice. So the only option is your own fat or nothing, right? So if we're going to go the the fat fat route, I have to understand that you're going to be happy with the result that you're going to get with fat transfer. So I ask every patient to send me photos of what you want your breast to look like. So look at other women on the internet, social media, wherever, send me those photos. And then if you send me photos of huge fake breasts, then I know we're not getting that with fat, right? So you can only make some kind of changes, a little bit of changes with fat. So it just helps us. We have to get on the same page. All right. So we're going to talk about the elephant in the room because everyone wants to know about cost. And I know there's a huge variety. Any numbers are going to change based on the person. I mean, all those things. And I also want to talk about the different kinds of implants because I know when we were talking about it, it was like you can do this one or you can kind of do like the Cadillac of implants and it's a little bit more. So kind of go through some of that stuff. Yeah. Cost is a a tough thing because I think the important thing to realize is that time is money, right? So I hope that's a beer, Steve. 
It's not. <laughs> it's like, it's an energy drink. <laughs> eggs and eggs. Yeah. Yeah. So so time is money in the operating room because you have to pay for all the nurses, the doctors, not just before I ever walk into the room, you have to have all the supplies and all that stuff. So what I usually tell people is it costs about three thousand dollars, three to four thousand dollars to walk into an operating room just to have all the stuff we need for surgery that day. Then it ends up being whatever amount of time to do that. So if a surgeon is slow, it's still going to cost you the same amount of money. You're just going to get less done. So I would say I'm not the most expensive surgeon in the world, but I'm also not the least expensive surgeon in the world, but generally I get more done in a shorter period of time. So people have more, more surgery done during that time. So if you think about like a breast augmentation, for me, it takes about 30 minutes to do a breast augmentation and superstar, but that's once I'm working. So, you know, it takes about 15 minutes to go to sleep and wake up too. So, so total time before like going in and coming out, maybe 45 minutes to an hour. But so for that amount of time, I would say it should cost somewhere between seven and $9,000 in again, that's very Midwest. That's kind of a typical price. And that variability is that including that all costs, you know, $4,000. Okay. Uh, All fees. That's everything. The the implants themselves cost about $1,500 just for Mm -hmm. the implants we're putting in. And there's that anesthesia time. And so at the end of that, like, it's like, you think that plastic surgeons making $9,000 for that breast augmentation. It's not, you have to pay off your nurses, the anesthesia doctor putting you to sleep, all the, uh, the gases and drugs you're getting during surgery. And so all that kind of costs some total generally is between I would say seven to nine thousand in, in this market. So if you can go somewhere and get a boob job for four grand, it's probably not ideal. Well, I'll tell you. It's, so there's a couple ways you get misled with with surgical costs, and that's that I'm glad you're doing something like this, and I wish everyone's paying attention because when someone gives you a four thousand dollar price tag, generally what it is is the surgeon fee is four thousand dollars, and then you're going to pay the anesthesia doctor separate, and then you're going to pay the surgery center separate. So the total fee is generally going to be around this, what I just said, anywhere you go, or you're not having surgery in a surgery center. So you might walk into your family medicine doctor and you lay down on the table that you had your your prostate examined on or your vaginal exam on, and they slip some implants in with Valium. So yeah, then you don't have to pay a surgery center or an anesthesiologist. That's a thing. That's a thing yeah. They can do implants when you're awake. Uh, so there's a there's a radiologist here in town where I am that calls himself a plastic surgeon. That obviously, unless you do your board certified in surgery of some sort, sort, which radiology is not, you actually can't get credentials to operate in a surgery center. So he does his breast augmentation the only way that he is allowed to legally because he can't go to a surgery center in his office. So you walk in, you get a little Valium. He numbs up your breast and you slide your breast implant in, which by the way, a lot of volume. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I see those. Can you go into why that is problematic? I mean, so the main issue with, so why would somebody go to a surgery center or a plastic surgeon? Yeah. Like why wouldn't you go to this guy and not pay for anesthesia or, you know, whatever the situation. I mean, the main, the main reason is your cosmetic outcome and safety. So it's not a benign surgery. Your heart and lungs are right underneath your ribs. So we, as well as other plastic surgeons in town, it's common to do what we call secret shopping. So one of our people called this guy's office and his person that is a pretty funny story. So one of his people that answer the phone to try to sell you surgery when you, when you call say, you know, I had my lady ask, well, what happens if there's an emergency during surgery? Who takes care of that? So his answer was, well, we, we close you up real quick and then we ship you to the one. <laughs> we send you to the hospital and you want, um, you, we would make sure a trauma surgeon takes care of you. Well, I mean, if you can't deal with the complications of your own surgery, then you should never be doing that surgery. So, you know, that's, so that's, that's a good question for people kind of ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can't deal with like, like if God forbid I ever had to, I punctured someone's lung, I could deal with that during surgery. Cause I went through all of general surgery at, before I ever got to plastic surgery. That's what you want. You don't want someone who doesn't even know surgery to be dealing with your surgery. Yeah. To get back to your question on cost, certainly going to him is going to save you cost at the expense of safety and cosmetic outcome, right? So if you think about that cost difference, so three to $4,000 might be the cost difference, yeah. having a better outcome for the rest of your life, that is going to ultimately, if you need a revision, be more difficult after that. And I deal with a lot of those kind of post-op revision cases and it, you never can get as good of an outcome if you just, as if you did it right the first time. So obviously, I mean, most of the people listening probably know that I'm from Indianapolis, you're in Toledo. So it's about a four hour drive. You could be in LA practicing. You just have a boatload more competition. 
like you kind of get the market in in the Midwest because you do have the skill set that you could be. I mean, that you're up there with those fancy pants boys. Well, it's the same reason you live in Indianapolis, right? You you identify with the people. I'm assuming of Indy, love living mm-hmm. there. That's your home. I grew up in Toledo. Uh, I feel like I was bringing something to Toledo that was needed here and I'm comfortable. I have four kids, you know, it's easy to raise kids in this environment. I have no desire to be in LA or Miami. Uh, it's just my day to day is so much nicer and easier than I could ever imagine any of those places. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the other things that I really liked about when I told you what I wanted to do, there were things where you were like, that doesn't make sense. You shouldn't do that. Like you weren't selling me on stuff. And I feel like a lot of places you can go, if you come in and say, you know, I think I want, uh, you know, tummy tuck. They'd be like, okay, well, let's do that. Let's add a little light bulb. Let's do a little breast augmentation. And you actually, there were a handful of things that were like, that, that doesn't make sense for you right now. Or doing quite the opposite, which I appreciated. And I've been in your office enough times that like that it, that wasn't just because you kind of know me through my husband. That's just your style. Yeah, well, I think it's the the, the ch- challenging thing for the consumer to realize is why is somebody telling you you need something? So you should always ask yourself that if if you're in an office, whether it's a surgeon's office or a non-surgeon's office, and there's a lot of you know, and every market's a little different, but whoever's telling you that you need this, like you need threads or you need radio frequency microneedling or a filler or Botox, you should look at their bag of tricks. And if their bag of tricks is limited to what they're offering you, then I would kindly walk out and get more, more opinions. I mean, this, you may like the person you're seeing, so it's not a cut against them, but if they can only offer you what they're offering you, you know, it's good that they're not trying to sell you a breast augmentation if they're a nurse who does only injectables because that's not appropriate. But at the same time, if you need a breast augmentation with an implant and they're trying to tell you you need, you know, synthetic fillers in your breast that they can offer you, then that might not be the best option. Yeah. No, it's the same in construction. That's why you get like an independent home inspection because they're not going to benefit from saying something's wrong. Whereas if you have the foundation guy come inspect your foundation, you're like, oh, well, you're going to make money if you tell me there's a problem. Warmer, sunnier days are calling and you can fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. With delicious options from breakfast to dessert, you can stay fueled all day long with easy and nutritious options. Plus, with premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, Factor meals are a real treat. I love the convenience and the variation of Factor's different meal preferences. Whether it's managing calories, maximizing protein, or avoiding meat, crush your goals this May with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash MinaAF50 and use code MinaAF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code MinaAF50 at factormeals.com slash MinaAF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Let's get a question from the mailbox. Don't forget, if you want to leave a voicemail and have your question answered on the show, a link is in the show notes. Hey, Mina. This is a super fun idea. So I do have a question for probably your doctor and for you since you've been rocking the workout game lately. But I had breast augmentation about a year and a half ago, and I recently had a revision because my implants didn't really settle the way I wanted them to. But my question is about exercising after augmentation. I've heard kind of things on all sides of the spectrum about working out direct chest, not doing chest, avoiding it completely, doing modified. My implants are under the muscle. So I'm just curious kind of what you do, what your doctor recommends, because, you know, we want to keep the girls looking good as long as possible. So thanks so much. Bye. 
Do you want to take that first, Mina, or do you want me to answer it? <laughs> oh, I don't remember what I was supposed to do. Um, but... <laughs> I love it. I think what you're supposed to do is listen to your doctor. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. Um, but yeah, because Steve's in training, yeah, yeah, he gets it a lot. A so I think trainer, it'll be. I get this question a lot. I always say, listen to your doctor. That's a great answer, Steve. <laughs> so the the important thing to realize is that, and not every person's going to be the same, and not because I mean that's such a stupid answer, but it's so true because the options for where an implant sits is either above your chest muscle, below your chest muscle, or what we call dual plane, which is a little bit under, a little bit over. Is that what so mine is? Yours is dual plane. Yes. Okay. Um, so the reason why somebody has dual plane is so they don't, if they don't want to look so artificial and they don't, and they still want to have an active lifestyle, then it should be dual plane. So if somebody wants to be big, fake and round, generally you want them on top of the muscle. Uh, or if somebody's a really active, you know, flexing on stage, if somebody's, you know, doing a lot of chest exercises, generally we put it over the muscle, but we tell them they're going to look a little bigger, rounder, faker. Um, so they have to accept that, or they have to limit their activity if we do put it under the muscle. Because if you think about what, what's happening here is you have a device, an implant sitting underneath a muscle, which is made to be at a certain tension on your chest. And when you start doing exercise and making that muscle stronger and tighter on your chest, all you're doing is squeezing your implant, which is making it move to a place you don't want it. And that place you don't want it is near, usually down and out towards your armpits and away from your cleavage line. So the more chest stuff you do, if an implant is under the muscle, the more the implant's going to migrate out. So that's where the probably the, your, your person who wrote that question, the modified exercises that you're thinking about are meant to minimize how much chest muscle exercise you do. So I would say less than 1% of the, of the implants I place are truly submuscular. Whereas I see a lot of people who have submuscular implants, and those are a lot of the revision surgeries I do, where I simply make them a new home for their implant in a new location so that they can do the things they want without affecting how their implants look. So Mina, like for, your, for you, you shouldn't have any restrictions. I mean, you should be able to do whatever you want. You should maintain. That's good the, because result. I forgot and I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, and I know that when you talk to somebody in a console, like yeah. how are they going to be after surgery? What kind of look are they going for? If somebody says, I want them to sit on my clavicles, I want them really high and I still am going to work out a lot, then submuscular is fine. But most people don't say that. They yeah. say they want natural looking breasts. So you have to either do dual plane or on top of the muscle. And I think post-surgery, because obviously I did, I did a good chunk at one time. So I didn't just have like discomfort up here. It was variable places. So when people ask about like the post-op pain and recovery, honestly, I'm like, my, my, my breasts were fine. Um, the thing that I did not anticipate being as intense as it was, was how sensitive they were because the skin was stretching. And that was really just it. I was like, do not touch my boobs, Steve. Like I, I don't, I didn't want anything on them because it, uh, I, and I don't even remember how long that lasted. That feeling usually lasts about three three weeks. Some people up okay. to three months Sounds when they're a little right. sensitive. But um, the best thing about you know having multiple procedures at the same time and breasts being one of them is breasts are always the least sensitive part and the easiest recovery of everything else we do. So if it's a tummy tuck or liposuction, those things are always more uncomfortable than breasts. And usually people say, "I didn't even realize you operated on my breast," or like, yeah. it's a little sensitive, like you say. But yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's the most beautiful thing. If you just have breast surgery, yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable because that's the only thing you're paying attention to and nothing's distracting that pain. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but in the case of multiple body parts, breasts are always the easiest part. Um, and one of the other things, and I know people might think like, oh, it's cause you're on TV, you got special treatment. But when I came, I said, I want, like, I want to stay overnight in the hospital. I want to pay that extra money. It's a very expensive hotel stay, but I want to be taken care of. And you were like, you don't need to do that. We have, you have a hotel that you frequently put people at and you can stay there, you can recover there. And it was so much nicer than being in a hospital. And it was so nice that you said, you don't need to spend that money. You'll still get the same care. And everyone reacts differently to different pain medications. And I do remember it was, I don't even know what time it was. Steve was there with me, but I woke up and I was like, the pain is not being managed. I need something to happen. And he was able to, I don't know if he contacted you or if it was, you know, Samantha at the time, but that's not like an, we weren't an outlier. Like you are able to do that for people, particularly if they're traveling from out of state, out of town and give very quick, like care. You guys came and checked on me the next day. And that's 
Like that's normal procedure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's everyday procedure for us because a lot of our patients come from out of town, but even the ones that travel, I, I, my cutoff is generally more than an hour away, which is a lot of people. We take care of putting you up in a hotel, which is used to seeing me come in and out, our patients come in and out and have different bed, pillow, positioning requirements, towels, those kind of things for messiness associated with surgery. So it's a much more comfortable environment to recover in. We put you at a hotel that's like right next to my house. So it's easy for me to come over there. We have kind of multiple uh, avenues where people can contact us and during their post-operative course. So things like that, where, you know, is this normal? Is this, is this supposed to be like this? Is there something different for pain. I have this, this reaction to it, you know, all those things are normal things. And so if you don't have the thing, the, uh, the infrastructure set up to deal with that, then it ends up making the patient experience much worse and it should be smooth and easy. Like you're describing. Would you recommend, uh, somebody from out of town having like a partner, whether that's a, you know, a, a spouse partner situation, friend, or, you know, if they're trying to keep it like super DL, can, I mean, is it manageable by yourself? by yourself? So if you come by yourself, we always send a nurse to you so to stay with you overnight. So we have that as well. So there's visiting nurses that will, we just kind of prop up. We have wow. a handful of, of um, patients who, you know, their husbands are deployed and, you know, have husband or relationships that are not ideal, that are not supportive and ultimately... <laughs> You need somebody. Yeah. And so if you don't have anybody or are trying to keep it on a DL, super discreet, you just, we just make sure that you have somebody who's safe, but it's always nice when it's somebody mm-hmm. who friend family, because, you know, they care more, yeah. <laughs> not that nurses who are visiting don't care, but it's a different, different experience for sure. And I think that leads to like an interesting part of the conversation, which is the whole, like the mental emotional part around the stigma around plastic surgery that I'm sure you have people come in that. A, don't have people, um, don't have people that are supportive, have people that are in there with them as their counterpart saying, well, I want the boobs bigger. Or I want the boobs smaller. Or like what's, what, what's been your experience with that? Cause I'm sure you hear and see some crazy shit. Well, why, why don't, can I, can I ask you how you dealt with that first in the stigma? Cause I mean, yeah. you're, you're more in the limelight. So you would probably, you would probably be the most appropriate person to give a better answer than me. I, I have my opinions on it. Yeah. But I think but I, I, I like hearing from you on these things. I mean, honestly, for me, it's something that I've thought about for a long time. And it's challenging because it's socially acceptable to like embrace your mom body and embrace the stretch marks and embrace all the cool shit our body can do to make children, which is amazing. And the women that can do that and do it like genuinely, I, I think is incredible. And I just felt like I was wearing a suit, like wearing someone else's body. And it didn't feel like me. A big part of it too was like, I was never going to be able to have a strong abdominal sex ever again. I had a huge gap. It just wasn't going to be a thing that I could do on my own. So I could have just limited it and just had you fix the muscle and, you know, not take the skin away. And, but it just like my, my genuine self was what I got after the surgery. I feel like myself. I feel strong. And I think there's a lot of judgment about embracing that, whereas there's not really about embracing what naturally happens after you have a child. And so it's this it's this weird middle ground. And I definitely did not want to be one of those people that, you know, all of a sudden I'm on, you know, the the beach with my family and I look the way I look and people are like, well, shit, if I, I'm just not working out hard enough, I'm not eating good enough. I'm not, I'm not whatever blank, fill in the blank, doing enough because she had two kids and she looks like that. Like, yeah, I did. And I work my butt off and I eat well and I had surgery. And I just felt like having the platform, it's kind of my responsibility to be honest about those kind of things. And I got very mixed feedback. I got some women saying, I'm really disappointed. I thought you were a great role model for my daughter and you're not. And that hurts and that sucks. But I think it's less about me and more about their what whatever their story is. It was very enlightening to me once I started talking about how many more women reached out and said, thank you for talking about this. I've been wanting to do this. It's such a taboo issue. Like, thank you for asking the questions. Thank you for saying the things. And then a lot of the conversation is around like your partner and Steve thought I was banging when he met me before I had Jack, when I was pregnant, like no matter what I've done, he's, he's all about it. And I think a lot of people don't have that partner. So anytime I, you know, I'm like, oh, I feel like I need to get, well, actually he does say I need more Botox because I can scowl at him 
more if it's wearing off. But I mean, he's the last person to say I should look or do anything different, which which I'm lucky and I think a lot of people don't have. Well, yeah. No, I think ultimately it's um, the patient's decision. I do remember kind of like in our first consultation, obviously I, I was there um, and you and I have been buddies for a long time and we have that relationship. But you very kindly said, okay, this is typically the part of the consultation where I asked the partner to um, get the F go, yeah, <laughs> uh, go to the bathroom or I get that. Right. So it's like, <laughs> I, I literally was just kind of in the corner, not saying anything, but I can imagine Dr. Colts gets those partners that are like, you know, make those a triple G sitting on top of her uh, clavicle. And it's like, well, <laughs> we're not listening to you, buddy. And if that's what she wants, cool. But that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, I want to, I want to talk to the patient now. I understand yeah. you drove Mina and that's great, but um, go get some water. Yeah. Even though we're still, you know, we're very good friends. Yeah. Like you were still like, right. I just want to talk to Mina. I thought that yeah, was cool. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's the key in all, in all of these conversations is it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, mm -hmm. including your spouse or your neighbor or whoever else. And I, it's disgusting to hear how opinionated other people are about what other people do. Everyone should do whatever the hell they want to do always. And anyone that tells you you're a bad role model because of something that you do for yourself is ridiculous. And anyone who, I mean, does anything other than admire your honesty and the reasons that you've uh, very nicely uh, laid out for why you've done what you do. I mean, it, it, you couldn't be a better spokesperson for women in general anyone who wants to be empowering of themselves, women or men, that's, this is stuff that you should do for yourself that makes you feel good because life is short. I tell every patient, like, every, you know, everyone says they feel guilty that they're doing this, like they've taken care of their kids all their lives. And now they're doing something for themselves, but they feel guilty. It's like, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world because this is your life. Like this is one life that you have for yourself. And do what you want to do. I mean, it's, it's such an easy, short, relatively inexpensive, short time of recovery in your lifespan. That's going to give you something that you love every single day that you wake up for the rest of your life. And when you think about it like that, it's not, it's nothing other than, well, why didn't I do this sooner? Mm -hmm. And so what it is not is I want to read this. I just got this message this morning from a, from a patient that I've not operated on, but wants to come and see me in a consult. She sent, and it plays a lot of things. She says, how much does this stuff cost for breast implants, stomach fat, and wrinkles on my face? Just tired of my husband looking at other ladies and not saying no attention. So that's what it's not. Yeah. Like that's a bad, that's a bad relationship. Yeah. You don't have cosmetic surgery to fix relationships. And so I always ask my patients, like, what are the, what, why now? Like, why are you in my office today and not last year and not next year? Is there something that's going on in your life? Because if someone comes in with that as a reason, Unless that was something they were going to do before, then that's not the right. I, I don't want anyone who's going to regret having surgery. Which or think it's going to fix something and then it doesn't fix exactly. it. And they're like, well, why did I do this? Why did I spend the money? Like, yeah. Yeah, this should be something that you want for yourself that's going to change your behavior in a positive way. You know, I see patients all the time. They're like, oh, I need to lose a little bit more weight. I've been wanting this all the time, but I've not been able to get down to the weight that I want. And I'm in this, you know, Steve's program and I can't, you know, I'm, I'm getting going more towards my direction, but I can't get rid of this extra skin. And then if they have surgery, sometimes it's the boost that they need to lose another 20 pounds to get more active because they can get their breasts out of four bras when they're running. I mean, it's, it's different for everyone, but it's ultimately on the goal is to make you healthier and happier and but we say look better, feel better, and do better because ultimately when you look better, you feel better and you start doing better in all aspects of your life. Well, yeah. and I think particularly for women, um, we have to feel like we struggled for it. Like it's really hard to do something for ourselves. When I did my business consulting, she was like, I want – what are your – what two things do you love? And I was like, I love getting massages and I love riding horses. She was like, I want you to do those two things every week. And I said, I don't have time for that. She said, I want you to do those two things every two weeks. And I was like, can I pick one and do it every two weeks? So I get a massage every two weeks and I feel like an asshole every time I do it. And even talking about the, the plastic surgery, like plastic surgery sounds ugly. It sounds aggressive. But if you call it a mommy makeover, then it's like I did this hard thing so I deserve to be able to do this. I birthed a child. I was a mother. Like I suffered 
so I can do this thing for myself. And I I keep going back and forth because like that's the that's the easy general term. It's a mommy makeover. But you don't have to have been a mom to do any of those things. And you still can like deserve to do that for yourself if that's what you want. Let me just tell you how many hypocrites there are in this world and in my office on a weekly basis. And the people that you see walking around the grocery store saying you should never have a mommy makeover probably had a mommy makeover themselves. I'm judging people for getting Botox, had Botox last week. Like it is so disgusting the amount of that crap that happens that I just stop, I tune it out and everyone else should tune it out. Like do whatever makes you happy because what do they call them? Trolls on social media that are saying things. That person I guarantee is in somebody's office getting PDO threads, you know, and getting a horrible outcome because I don't know what those are, just... but they sound cool. <laughs> I keep getting, <laughs> yeah, anyway, getting bad or like making bad choices about something else. Yeah. So. Okay. A couple of the, your shorter questions just off the hip favorite surgery to perform breast augmentation. Oh yeah. Why? Uh, it's a quick surgery that gets an amazing outcome. Like reliably people are okay. always happy and it's quick. Uh, there's probably not a quick answer to this, but can you have sex while you're healing from a surgery? Depends how much of an active participant you want to be in that process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what position and how active? You could just yeah. be there and probably be fine. <laughs> yeah. Are we talking starfish or are we talking cowgirl? <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't even know what starfish is. That's what I, I think it's just the way that's like, it's like yes. dead man. It's dead man. <laughs> gotcha. I think, I think uh, Steve, I think you know that as dead horsing, but I don't know. Dead, oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, the answer is yes. the answer is yes, but remember the no heart rate, blood pressure elevation. So that's that can happen those two first two weeks. Yeah. So if you really don't engage, pretend it's not happening, you can do it right away. But if you would like to be an active uh, participant, you want to wait a few weeks. Exactly. Okay. Can you get a tummy tuck if you think you will have kids in the future? Is that safe? It's safe. Yes, I wouldn't encourage it. No, because. Um, I mean, we ultimately are trying to give you a result that you're going to be happy with the rest of your life. And when you mm-hmm. stretch your belly out with a kid, the same reason that a lot of women end up needing a tummy tuck or wanting a tummy tuck because of the kids, you're just going to potentially want or need one in the future. But it can be stretched out again. It's been done plenty of times. It's just, it wouldn't, it's knowing that you're planning for kids. It's not ideal. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what this word is, so I will probably butcher it, but this gal said she was born with gastro sheesh. Gastrostesis. Can, can you get a tummy tuck? Uh, you know, I, you can. Uh, what is it? Depends it? How, how healthy they are. Um, it, a gastroschesis. It, there's different. There's different. Um, like kind of severity. Did I say it right? It is gastroschesis. Gastroschesis. Okay. Cool. Gastroschesis. So different severity, but depending on how healthy they are with with their you know, anatomy and how well they can eat and, ma- and maintain their nutrition, then, then potentially, yes. I mean, okay. a lot of people are malnourished if they have gastroschisis. It's just the maldevelopment of their intestines and stomach. So um, if they're healthy, yes, they can have it. Okay. Let's get one more question from the mailbox. Can you still breastfeed with implants? Yeah, great, great question. And even to add to that after a breast lift. So any kind of breast surgery, again, important to understand how someone breastfeeds. So there's breast, there's a nipple and underneath the nipple is like an iceberg of breast tissue that makes milk. So the implants either sit below your breast tissue or below the muscle. So the implant doesn't actually sit in the breast tissue. So it doesn't affect your ability to breastfeed. Now with a breast lift, sometimes we have to either remove breast tissue or reshape the breast tissue. So it could potentially, a breast lift could potentially interfere with your ability to breastfeed as well as you could have if you never had a breast lift. However, if the surgeon knows different ways to do breast lifts or breast reductions, there are ways to do it so you maintain your ability to breastfeed. So it's important to tell your surgeon that you are going to breastfeed, you think you might, you're considering still having kids so that they can adopt their technique in breast reduction or mastopexy or breast lift to the ability to breastfeed in the future. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have different stressors, some big, some small, that we carry around and that really weigh us down. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to have a negative effect on us. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. For me, therapy has been so helpful, really learning those positive coping skills and to be the best version of myself. I know myself better. 
and how to set the right boundaries that really work for me. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, then give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, and it's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash AF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash AF. Steve. Hi, Pete. Uh, I mean, what, to the extent you want to talk about anything, is there anything you think like men think about in plastic surgery or that men should like think about other men having plastic surgery or, you know, like kind of in my world right now with personal training, I've just become a lot more aware that uh, there's a lot of men on steroids nowadays. It's extremely easy to uh, come by. Whereas before I was knowledgeable in this area, I just didn't know that. You don't know what you don't know. So you are probably seeing a lot of male breast reductions, I would presume, right? Yeah, yeah. gynecomastia or, or yeah, increased gyno. breast tissue. Yeah, gyno is uh, is a is a difficult thing in in uh, the bodybuilding world because it's increased it's increased with uh, steroid use. It's also increased with some drugs that people take for medical reasons or blood pressure, uh, and also some hair issues. People will get gynecomastia. And typically marijuana smoking also, which is becoming increasingly frequent. So, uh, and, and the what's bo- the link between smoking marijuana and getting boobs? Uh, good question. I don't know that physiology. I should, but it's just a, it's oh. one of those drugs that can, I don't know. It's maybe it's, the, mun- it's yeah. the munchies. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just a very, um, it's a hot topic. I, I think is, is that what you hear people uh, talk about most is the gynecomastia? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What's your percentage you think of male men versus women that come in and what are like the top three things men are requesting? It's probably five to 10% men to, to 90, 95% women. And that's pretty standard na- nationwide. There's a couple of big nationwide practices that do exclusively male plastic surgery. Uh, I don't think they do anything special, but they just cater to that clientele. And most men are a little bit different than women in that they're even more secretive about it. And they have even less perceived downtime with the ability to have surgery. So they think they can have surgery on Thursday and go back to work on Friday. And they don't care if it's a tummy tuck or liposuction or rhinoplasty. They don't even like hear you say anything. Shocking. The men don't hear you. (laughs) I heard you. And I specifically said, I'm not going to listen to you at least. Yeah. But probably the top three things are um, neurotoxins or wrinkle relaxers for, you know, injectables um, and um, volume addition fillers. Uh, I would think like face facelift and lipo of like yeah, the surgical gonna, ones. Yeah. So on the surgical end, uh, so I would say before I even talk about that, the, the most important thing is actually for men is good skincare because men, because they shave and because they have thicker skin can look better longer because of their natural skin composition if they just take good care of their skin. So you guys get better looking as you get older and it's very fucked up. Well, don't put us all in one bubble. Well, <laughs> the majority of men, you, like Steve is more handsome. I don't know what you looked like in college. Actually, I think I've seen some pictures. Not handsome. I think you're more handsome now than you were in college. Probably. probably. It's crazy. <laughs> But anyway, so sur- surgery, liposuction is very common because they can go back to work quickly and they make big changes pretty quickly. Surprisingly, I see a lot of male Brazilian butt lifts in my office. So men uh-huh. that can't keep really? their pants on and can't do enough squats to make their glutes the way uh-huh. they want. I do a okay. lot of BBLs for men. I have not heard that. And gynecomastia. Yeah, gyne- and I see more revision gynecomastia surgery because of horrible scar patterns. Like a lot of a lot of surgeons, I don't know where they do it or where they learn it, but they will put do like male, sorry, female pattern breast reductions on men, which it leaves terrible scars and in bad places. So that's a bad look. So I see a lot of revision gynecomastia surgery and primary gynecomastia surgery. Very interesting. BBLs for the men. BBLs. They want that soccer butt. The soccer butt. One more thing. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, I don't even know the numbers, but the industry for pills, creams, whatever that claim to fix cellulite, the amount of money that people spend on trying to fix their cellulite and it, it, it just, it can't, it can't be fixed with pills or creams. It's genetic. You're born with what you have, but 
um, when we did my first surgery, I, I have like, I have a dent in one butt cheek. It's, and it's just where a band of cellulite is pulling the skin down. And so we tried to fill it with a little of my fat and, and that didn't work. And then you got this new tool. So I went to try it um, and it was just under local. So I was awake. It wasn't wildly uncomfortable. This is when I was serenaded with the duet uh, shallows. It was lovely. And it works immediately. It's this, you, you, you can explain it. Well, yeah. So cellulite, everyone, every, unfortunately, women have it more than men, but every woman has it. Uh, and all it is, is is connections between the muscle underneath and the skin. And it creates like the, a little tether between the skin and in between those tethers are your fat. So you theoretically could pump up the area in between the little tethers to try to fill in those dents, but nothing's going to get rid of the dent entirely unless you cut the band that's holding it. And so there's been other technologies in the past that have done that. Uh, and unfortunately you can never confirm with those older technologies that it was completely released. And what we've learned about cellulite over the years is that it's usually like a trunk of a tree and then the branches of the tree going up to the skin. So those branches all individually have to be cut to completely release the cellulite dimple. And if you don't cut all of them, then you're still going to have the dimple. And so this new technology, it's kind of like a fancy crochet hook. It allows us to kind of hook and cut every single band so we can see in front of our eyes that that cellulite dimple is released. The hard part with cellulite is like, I saw two women last week for thigh, quote unquote, thigh cellulite. It generally, as your skin ages, you get loose skin and that skin in order to not fall off your body is stuck to your body. So you have to, we have to differentiate what's cellulite and what is just skin laxity because you can't release all the tension, all the tethers holding your skin or your skin will just fall off. Fall down like a pair of pants. Fall down like a pair of pants. So you have to keep those tethers, but if you truly have one or two or even 20 connections in a couple of areas on your butt, causing lots of little dimples or on the back of your thighs, we can fix those. But if it's your whole thigh is cellulite because you have loose skin, that's not cellulite. That's just loose skin. So then you just have to do skin tightening procedures and make your cellulite better. It's not really cellulite in that case. It's really just skin mm-hmm. laxity. Well, thank you, Dr. Colts. This has been very informative for me and hopefully everyone else. And we'll definitely have to have you back on in the near future. It's my pleasure. And congrats on Mina AF. I love it. <laughs> thank you. So if people want to hit you up to, to get a consult, what's, how, how should they reach out to you? I'm Dr. Peter Colts. I am a board-certified plastic surgeon in Toledo, Ohio, working at Pico MD. We do virtual consults and in-person consults. So it, generally the easiest way to find us is either on our website, www.pecomd.com or on social media. We have two accounts with a surgical page, which is Peter Colts MD which is K-O-L-T-Z is my last name. And then our non-surgical page is P-E-K-O-M-D, P-E-K-O-M-D. And if you just message either of those, we do virtual consults or get you scheduled for in-person visits or consults. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave me a question. A link below is in the show notes. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.